So uh, this morning I'd just like to start with a, a short announcement in regards to, uh, you know, in case you have reserved a sabotan and a chair, please decide for one of of two of those two. Don't reserve a sabotan and a chair for yourself because then we don't have enough. And there's just some yogis who's, who have gotten some extra permission to reserve both due to health reasons. But otherwise you need to decide for one and then if there's another one free, you can of course use it, but not claim it, you know, by putting a, a shawl on it or, or something like that. Because a few people would like to have a, a seat on a sabotan but can't find any because they're all somehow taken. So please check. And, you know, if nothing changes because it's already all optimally taken care of, then that's just what we have to work with. Okay. And uh, I think Anna Bodhi isn't so well today, so she's taking a bit of time for having a rest because she's going to give a talk tonight. So I'd rather have her not coming now and, and giving a talk in the evening so she can conserve a bit of energy. Yeah, and uh, we can start again by doing the mantra of the Noble Eightfold Path three times, and I ring the bell in between. And just you know, when we come to the last one, to the uh, to the second last second last one, I think one says. Samasati is very short, yeah. Samasati, samasamadi, because we always seem to stumble over that one, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so when there is a is a a bar on the top, it's long, and there's only one mistake: the third samma is missing that bar. But when there is none, it's a short a. Roughly speaking, it's like that. And that's also like part of you know mindfulness practice is to just tune in with the group, you know, especially with me. I have the microphone. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's try. Samadhi Samasankapo Samavacha Samakamanto Samachivo Samavayamo Samasati Samasamadhi Samadhi Samasankapo Samavacha Samakamanto Samachivo Samavayamo Samasati Samasamadhi Samadhi 
Iti Sama Sankapo Sama Vacha Sama Kamanto Sama Achivo Sama Vayamo Sama Sati Sama Samadhi We're getting there. So this morning I wanted to speak a little bit about right action, Sama Kamanto. Or like wise action, wholesome action. And you know, and as with the section on speech, we are not, you know, doing that only for the ethical value, but also as a way, you know, to train the mind, or to retrain the mind, you know, from what we have learned earlier on in life, and maybe even over lifetimes brought with us, you know, a momentum or some tendencies, and retrain ourselves so that we are more in sync, you know, with that which leads towards more freedom, you know, and less entanglement with the world. And, you know, in terms in the in the field of right action, there's quite a few things, you know, which which are underestimated, you know, how powerfully they can keep us locked, you know, in dependencies and in, in habits and how we can start, you know, to open those up by, by paying some attention and going a little bit more into the depths, you know, of what's behind certain things we are doing, you know, we maybe have never questioned. And uh, so because it's really impossible, you know, to to separate uh, the work of meditation from ethics, because ethics is a real necessary foundation for the mind, you know, to have any chance. <laughs> for the mind you know have any chance to get some measure of of quiet or stability let's say you know and without that we can't really inside meditation is not going to happen because we can't see anything you know we are so caught up it's like it's so turbulent the waters are so turbulent we can't really see what's in there and what we see is just the waves, you know. And I'm sure you know what I'm speaking about. And we can also learn, you know, like a certain amount. We can learn from the waves. But there's so much more in the depths, you know, which we need to see. And we will see, you know, if we keep on walking the Noble Eightfold Path and, you know, take that to heart... This is what's happening because laws of nature are working independently from our wishes, you know, and fears. They are just what they are. And that's what it's all about, you know, to familiarize ourselves with those laws of nature working through us and around us, you know, on all levels, really. And, you know, one way how the Buddha has... I mean, there have been so many ways, you know, how the Buddha summed up his teaching, but one way is is the, uh, before, you know, there were any kind of 
codes of contact, con conduct, you know, for monks and nuns, which are called like the Parimokha. The nuns have like 311 rules and the monks 217 rules. So it's kind of amazing amount of rules and quite a few of them, you know, are really not not applicable to, to daily life, you know. They are like about ordination procedures and things like that. So don't be horrified that it must be like terrible, you know, to live according to it's not as as um, difficult as you think actually. And uh, if one has a good support system, you know, if one doesn't have, then it's it's not possible actually to do it, you know. So so it's not easy, but it's also not completely outlandish, you know. It's 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 totally possible. And uh so before, you know, those codes were in, ex came into existence, which was a bit later, you know, once, you know, the order became more successful, it attracted a lot of people and then there was a lot of issues, you know. So then the Buddha, every time something happened, another rule was laid down, you know, to deal with that issue and then suddenly, whoops, it was a lot of rules. <laughs> and... But there is what's called the Ovada Padimokha, which is like one uh, a very short instruction, which which uh, you know consists of three parts, which are considered you know the 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 essence of the training, and it is it reads like that: avoid what is what is unskillful, do what is good, and purify the mind. So the f most important thing is, you know, avoid what is unskillful. For that, you know, we have the precepts, because the precepts say, you know, don't take what is not given. So that's like the most important thing is to kind of make sure we don't create more of that un unwholesome karma. And then if there's some energy left after that, do what is good, you know, create some wholesome karma. And then on on the resting on this, you know, purify the mind. And, uh, you know, so the, all of that together is, you know, it's, it's a protection from being completely at the mercy of our conditioning and being increasingly able, you know, to, to um, discern that, you know, which is in accordance with the Noble Eightfold Path and that what isn't, you know. And, you know, after the Buddha's enlightenment, you know, there were, I'm sure you've heard that, you know, he was considering not to go to teach because he thought it's just too subtle, you know, what he had learned, what he had seen, what he had broken through. And he felt like it's kind of hopeless, you know, to communicate that to the, people but then you know he got convinced there were like it said you know in the in the scriptures that some a deity came down like Brahma Sahampati was his name and he was like saying to the Buddha you know there is some with little dust in their eyes please you know for the sake of those at least you know give it a try to teach and and that's what he did and then really there were people responding and then you know then a Buddha was teaching for 45 years or so. So, 
you know, and he was he was moved by seeing, you know, that people wanting wanted to come out of suffering, but they did all the wrong things, you know, because they didn't understand. They got more and more entangled. So by seeing that, you know, his heart felt like yes, he, he wants to try. He wants to try to to teach what he has seen, and and still today, you know, we are benefiting from it. So it's amazing. And there is actually in the chanting book, there's a little chant, which in Amaravati, in the monasteries in England, all the Anagarikas had to do that before every Dhamma talk. They had to do this little stanza, you know, which uh, Brahma Sahampati, that, that Deva, you know, which came down, appeared and asked the Buddha for, to teach. And that's that little stanza, which is every time, you know, recited before a Dhamma talk. And this is always that big fear of all of Anagarikas have to chant, you know, on their own in front of everybody. It's a very good uh, training, you know, to break through that fear. I still remember it. I thought I could never do it and now I can give Dhamma talk, you know, to so many people. And I don't feel scared anymore most of the time, you know. So that's like a very good example how we can train our minds, you know. And how we can familiarize our minds and then things start to shift, you know, like I became an Anagarika in 1993. It was really very, very challenging for me to do this little stanza, you know, just four lines. And look, now it's it's quite a few years later, 25 years, you know, and it has it's a big change, you know. And it, it was a gradual change and it, it took time, you know, and to... And that little bit of a progress, and then going back again. And it wasn't kind of linear, and 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 you know, but it had its own momentum. And I just needed to start and not stop, you know. And and the result is that. So I think that's a, you know, I can. It's almost unbelievable enough before four lines is too much, and then afterwards again go on and on and on and no problem anymore. So so it is very much possible, you know, to train the minds. And the you know section of right action is, is dealing with the first three precepts which we have been taking. Number one, uh, you know, take uh, refraining from taking life refraining from what is uh, taking what is not given and refraining from sexual misconduct you know emily i just noticed that i forgot the book because i wanted to quote something can you go the white book of joseph it's on the bench thank you you know and and they are kind of pretty straightforward those precepts but they can you know over time they can be refined you know through through the practice, you know, we see ever more, you know, you know, that they apply actually to areas which in the beginning we are not aware of, you know. We think, okay, you know, take, uh, refraining from taking life, yeah, I know, you know, I shouldn't kill an animal, I shouldn't kill a person, this is obvious, you know, because it's also in, in the law and you'll end up in prison if I'd kill somebody. But then actually, if you really look into it deeply, it's also about, you know, much more things, you know, which we habitually don't identify with that precept. But And, and over time, that becomes 
kind of clear, you know. And the first one, you know, not harming, not taking life, it's the opposite of it is, is loving kindness, you know, having loving kindness for all life. And, uh, and also, for example, for, you know, insects or, or little, or ants or mosquitoes and, you know, very small life forms, thank you, which many, many people without any second thought, you know, just they kill and, and they don't have any kind of feeling that there's anything wrong with it. And, you know, over time, if we are taking the precepts and if you are meditating, this is something, you know, which starts to change, you know, that we, there's certain things we just can't do it anymore because there is like, it's our heart man starts to to change through the practice. And I remember like in the, I think it was in the mid-90s, I was on a, a I was in Australia in a, for a rains retreat in, in the forest or in the bush, they said. Uh, and there were really amazingly huge spiders in that meditation hut where I was. Like, so big, you know, with hairy, very hairy. <laughs> and they weren't poisonous, and I knew that they weren't poisonous, but still, it was very kind of visceral feeling of great uh, fear, you know, and... and, and kind of disgust, you know, and really very deeply visceral, no, you know, I can't. But there was nothing I could do, you know, because catching them I would even be even more afraid. <laughs> because they were so big, you know, like a, like a plate, like a small plate. <laughs> and I would lie in bed and it would just be up there, you know. <laughs> and... There was no other place to go for me, you know. So I had I had no other choice than to then I would just bang, you know, on the on the wall so the spider would just kind of disappear but not really leave, you know. I knew it was just behind. And then you know, like in the beginning it was very stressful. But then you know, after one or two weeks I got used to it and, and we never had any problem, you know, she never came and did anything to me. <laughs> So, you know, over the months, I was there for four months, I think, you know, my, I, I just got trained by the spider, basically, you know. <laughs> and, and now I'm actually happy, you know, about this because I have, you know, I have more freedom. I can actually be, coexist with someone like that without, without having to kind of... Uh, you know, run away. So we, we started to coexist together for, for about four months and, uh, and it was a peaceful coexistence and it was just like a thought that I can't be with a spider. And I know it's also, I think, very deep, 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 you know, conditioning that we human beings, we want to protect ourselves from dangerous insects and so on. But that spider wasn't actually dangerous, you know, she wasn't uh, poisonous. But my whole body was giving me a complete different message, you know, like, I'm very different, you know. So it took some time, you know, to, to work through that. And, uh, and I think what's really important is, you know, to, to, to realize how much we are uh, obsessed with comfort. You know, everything has to be just right for us, you know, like 
everything. We have just so high standards here in the West, you know. It's very detrimental because in, in the pursuit of that comfort, we actually destroy the environment, you know. So we are, it, it's totally counterproductive, really. It's, it's really stupid, actually, if you think, you know. So, you know, we are, we, are, we are trying to make it all so super hygienic, you know, and then we end up with lots of people having environmental, you know, difficulties because, uh, you know, of, of the repercussions of, of that attempt, you know, to make it all so super, super squeaky clean. And then, you know, people become impaired by, by, by all of that, you know. And so that's something really to, to think about. And, and just like questioning, you know, what those priorities, you know, we have set ourselves, you know, like in, in uh, about living standard and standards of cleanliness and all of those things. Questioning, you know, is that really wise action or is that just like kind of disconnected thinking, you know, which doesn't really give us what 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 we are really looking for, you know. And and you know and by making this attempt, you know, to bring insects outside like little little ants or of you know other kind of things which come in, especially when, when it's warm, it really, you know, becomes easier and easier the, the more we get used to it. And it's a very beautiful thing to do, I think. And, uh, of course, you know, this precept only pertains to volitional actions, so conscious actions. Sometimes accidents happen, and then that's also part of life. And there can also be, you know, like sometimes situations where some insects, you know, maybe destroy a whole building or sometimes there is, is, it's needed, you know, to, to do something. But it's really important to really take time and really think deeply about it. What is comfort, you know, and what is really uh, needed, you know, in order to keep things going and and there's a, there's a lots of opinions about this i'm sure but it's important you know to take the time to think about this and actually in this chanting book there's also a chant about you know inviting insects uh, to to leave places insects and other you know like uh, rodents and so on if buildings are infested. So there is, is different things, you know, we can, we can try. And there's also different, uh, you know, for example, traps which would kill an animal, but there's also traps where you can just, you know, trap the animal and then carry it somewhere else. So there's, you know, if we, if we take the, the time, there's very often other solutions are possible if we take the time to research and to ask, you know, and to, to find a way. If we really motivated and understood that precept about not harming.
because in the end, you know, we harm ourselves. And that's really important to to kind of get that, you know. And I think, you know, the whole environmental crisis and the climate change situation is a, is a very big illustration of that, you know, where, you know, it is now coming back to us, which was like just like 200 years, you know, of industrial uh, revolution. It hasn't taken long, you know, to to have repercussions, which we are starting to, and there's many people who feel it every day, you know. So it is a very intense lesson, you know, which we are now trying to kind of make sense of, you know. And it looks like, you know, we will not be able to to stop this process, but we can learn from it and yeah, and uh, you know develop resilience so that we can really be with it and open to it and not trying to kind of uh, distract ourselves from the fact of that these environmental, you know, kind of changes are continuing to evolve, you know, all around us. And ultimately, you know, nothing is going to be lost because, you know, all materials in the universe are constantly recycled and, you know, we, we are made of out of exploded stars, you know, for several billion years ago. So that was probably a very intense environment, you know. And then it has changed again, you know. And we are part of that constant changing river. And, you know, individual forms will be destroyed, but nothing will be lost ultimately. And that's really important, you know, to, to reflect on that. And what is a particular situation now is that there's one species, you know, who is really very much involved in accelerating that process. And, and that's us. And we are, you know, we are just like ignorant, yeah. And, you know, so it's just good, you know, to... Uh, see that all in in a bigger context and uh, and we can learn from everything you know there's nothing whatsoever we can't learn from but what is important is to kind of not uh, distract ourselves from what's happening you know and just take it in you know the the it, it Evolutionary trajectory is 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 mysterious also. And then, you know, that leads us to the next precept, which is not taking what is not given, which is very much, you know, in terms of climate change, is very much th those both both precepts are constantly kind of. I uh, don't know what would be a good word to use. Conf you know, violated, yeah, 
and and maybe a lot of it without really conscious intention and not just out of ignorance and the opposite of that one that's a especially powerful one is contentment you know contentment because you know that we don't get much uh, education you know in, in in terms of contentment because like everybody says the you know people have to go shopping in order for for the economy not to collapse and never mind if the environment collapses so it's obviously a huge case of ignorance you know what's going on and and not taking what is not given you know in terms of you know amongst people which uh, at a place like this here you know where we all have been taking the precept is a tremendous sense of safety and ease you know if we are with people who all agree with this and because you know if you look into the media there's like one scandal after the next you know banks and all kinds of uh, you know institutions where one would think that they would just they are there to serve the people it's not like i mean there's all kind of the most amazing things happening we would so there's just the, the level of trust has been broken on so many many times that in in many ways you know we are not anymore expecting even that these institutions are doing uh or there's a, you know what is written in you know in the law even the president of this country is like famous you know for being a really cool guy by taking advantage left and right and this is why some people voted him for to be president because they thought that's a really good uh training you know for doing good work so it's very crazy actually and uh you know and even you know i think everybody here you know i don't think anybody is a great thief here or anything but you might also have sometimes thought oh i'm just going to take this pen you know because there's like 20 pens lying around or just you know little things like that and to just see you know it's very easy to just start with a little thing and then a little thing more and a little thing more and then whoops you know suddenly it's 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 getting easier and easier to to break over that that threshold you know so it's 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 important to notice that you know it's it's it can be uh, like a habitual way of of carelessness you know and contentment you know is is our greatest wealth and you know meditation is really a, a very good uh, practice to kind of um you know make the mind more sensitive so it is able to have contentment with with simple things you know with just you know having some time to be able to sit still and to enjoy that you know 
it's it's a very rare commodity for for lots of people in this day and age you know so contentment in in the pali language is it's called santuti And the third one is abstaining from sexual misconduct. And I brought a quote by Venerable Tignatan about that. Three, eight, two. <coughs> Aware of the suffering caused by sexual misconduct. I vow to cultivate responsibility and learn ways to protect the safety and integrity of individuals, couples, families, and society. I preserve the happiness of myself and others. I am determined to respect my commitments and the commitments of others. I will do everything in my power to protect children from sexual abuse and prevent couples and families from being broken by sexual misconduct. So it's not about saying, you know, sexuality is bad and you should not engage in it or any of that. But it's just being aware of the power of that energy and knowing, you know, how deluding it can be. You know, when we are under the influence of of, of sexual desire or lust, you know, we we all kinds of fantasizing and and you know, wishful thinking kind of distorts reality and we think, oh, it's no big deal, you know, or something like that, or, you know, nobody will know, all kinds of things. And then afterwards, gosh, how could I have been so stupid to think this, you know? And I, I, I speak from experience. So I'm, I'm celibate now for quite a long time, but I still had, I had a few years, you know, <laughs> yeah. enough time to, to learn about it. Yeah. And it can be very deluding, really. And also, you know, it's in the in the it's in the uh, service of uh, evolution of, of of procreation. So this deluding element, you know, has a has a has a function, you know, because nature wants us to procreate, you know. And if you would if you would think before how hard it is you know to actually give birth to a child and then bring up a child and everything you might think twice you know but because you're deluded enough <laughs> you, then ever you it's happened and then it's okay as well you know so I, I don't mean that in in a in a kind of a negative way, but it's just like yeah, there is some reasons, you know, why we have this experience of falling in love and all of that because it it gets us into making this commitment, you know, to have children and and everything which comes with it because it's a it's a big gamble, isn't it? You don't know what you're gonna get, but once it's here, you you're stuck with it. <laughs> So yeah, and you know, and, and there has been, as you know, you know, like whole literature is filled with, you know, falling in love and all of those things, you know. <coughs> 
and then well, also like crimes of passion, you know, the newspapers, the the literatures over the century full with stories like this because it's so powerful, you know. And it's 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 set up in this way by nature for a reason, you know, because it wants to perpetuate the species. But there is, you know, there's lots of these like very powerful traits built into life, you know. But then there is no you know, now we are reaching soon like eight billion people. So where is it going? You know? So nobody nobody really knows, you know. But somehow it's it, it something has to give at one point, isn't it? I mean it's it's obvious, you know. But how is that happening and nobody knows. But what I can intuit already, you know, without knowing, is it's gonna be become a bit tight, you know. It's already in some places. So, you know, to have, to, to train the mind and to build up resilience to deal with with all of the repercussions of that is the best thing we can do, you know, and the rest. I mean, we are not in control, but we can do something, you know, to be more capable to be with that process and not getting completely lost in it. And I think those precepts, you know, especially those three about right action, I mean, they they come all three in extremely handy, you know, when there's lots of people together. Because, you know, usually when we are caught up, especially in sexual desire, I think, you know, really strong desire is aroused, you know, then we there's that feeling, you know, there's only two avenues, either I do it or I suppress it, you know. But it's not, there is a third one, you know, which is like opening to the energy of it, being aware of it and, and, and observing it and seeing and it's arising and ceasing. And through that willingness, you know, to be with that stressful experience, you know, building resilience, you know. And uh, at the same time, you know, learning how nature operates. Because, you know, as you know, the word Dhamma means, means actually nature, you know. It's about learning how things function, how things work, and then you know, not getting carried away to the same extent as we would if we wouldn't know. And then through that, you know, like we, we are building a certain equanimity, you know. And that's exactly, you know, the, the there's a very important quality to develop, equanimity. And it's it's, you know, it's, as you know, you know the Buddha's teaching is laid down in, in often in lists because it was an oral teaching. It was a good way to remember, and equanimity features quite often, you know, because it's very important uh, basis for seeing clearly and also a a result of seeing clearly, you know. And it is like a, a a spiral, you know, like 
we see more clearly, we have more equanimity. And then because we have more equanimity, we can look deeper. And it's, it's a very important quality to develop. And I remember that's you know, what first struck me when I, when I was still a lay woman in the early 90s, yeah, when I traveled to Asia for the first time, or late 80s, and I met a few teachers. That's what mostly stood out for me. It was that equanimity which they embodied, you know. And I felt like, yeah, you know, that's what I want to have, you know. Like a true equanimity which is rooted in having cleared out some stuff, you know. Because we can also have like some fake equanimity if we drink a little bit or smoke something, you know. That was the kind of equanimity I knew about. <laughs> and it wasn't very kind of sturdy, you know. It was very dependent and I got that, you know, that that didn't work. And then when I... That was really, really very, very attractive to me, that that, uh, you know, unshakability of the heart. You know, the heart can stay open and be very touched, but it's not going to kind of shake too much, you know. And, uh, you know, in order to, to come to that place, you know, we, we have to be willing to be with the shaking first, you know. And, uh, you know, Ajahn Sumedha was sometimes was calling that the orphans of consciousness, you know, those things which are shut out, you know, to allow them to come in and to, you know, hold them with loving kindness and awareness, mindfulness, and let them tell their story, you know not in terms of thinking about it, but in an energetic way, you know. Let them be what they are and then they start to kind of, the hardness, you know, starts to kind of open up and they start to kind of transform. And... Uh, You know, if we if we are not willing to go through that experience and rather go into fantasizing, then we'll always, you know, we we won't make wise choices. You know, it's really important to go to those places, you know, which are unresolved. And even you know, it's an experience of maybe great confusion and there are a lot of kind of movement and so on and so forth. But it's important to stay with it and. And then out of the transformation process, clarity will arise, you know. Not, maybe no, not, not great explosions of like clarity, but just one step at a time, you know, one step at a time. And that comes, you know, really in dependence on the, the willingness to be with those unresolved places, you know, and to go there and... and uh, Allow them, you know, to to be felt. 
because that seems to be difficult for us, you know. We're all afraid of unpleasant feeling. And this afternoon I'm going to want to give a, a, actually a guided meditation in the afternoon about feeling, you know. Because this is, we have to learn to be with feeling. Because that whole, you know, comfort seeking is dictated by not wanting unpleasant feeling, wanting pleasant feeling and being ignoring neutral feeling. And then, you know, we make unwise choices because we are so disconnected from everything. And, you know, environmental situation is, is a huge mirror about that. In this, you know, looking for comfort constantly and then, you know, ending up with creating a monster, you know. Yes. Um, so, you know, based on right view, which is, as Ayananda Bodhi explained you, right view is the understanding of emptiness or the understanding that everything is interconnected or interbeing, as Dignadan calls it, you know. For example, as I said, you know, there's a cloud in this glass. I, I'm drinking a cloud right now. Mm. And just remembering little things like that, you know. So, you know, based on right view, we cultivate right thought, which is thoughts of renunciation, loving kindness and compassion. And then, you know, based on those right thoughts, we will be moved to act in a way which is wholesome and to speak in a way which is wholesome, which minimizes harm and... Uh, is conducive, you know, for the well-being of all, including ourselves. And that's really important also, it, including ourselves. It's not like that we have to, you know, not include ourselves in that. This is really important because we only be able to really be, be of service if we are well as well, you know. It's important to not forget that. And then, you know, there will be some measure of, of stability and, and completeness. So we can meet life, you know, as it comes. And that's as good as it gets, really. And that's, there's not nothing else to be done. And just, you know, keep it simple, really. So, we have another... Oh, so short only. Ten minutes to sit. 
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.